So we'll dive into our message for this morning, and we have talked about the start of something big. And in the last five weeks, we've talked about building a dream home. And we've talked about all the things that you go through to wind up with your dream home. And your dream home is that place that you've imagined in your heart. And, and your desire here is that you build this place that is for family, that you can build memories in, and beyond family even, that it is a place for joy and friendship, that it's a place for comfort and peace. And this, this is where, if, if it's your dream home, this is where you want to spend the rest of your life, right? I mean, if you got a dream home, this is where you want to spend the rest of your life. Now, there's a process that you go through before you wind up with this dream home. Real quick, let me recap what those are. First of all, you have to have a vision for it. You have to know what it is that you want to accomplish. You got to know that you can pay for it because if you can't pay for it, you'll never get there. Then you have to, to build plans. What's, what's it actually going to look like? And that helps other people come around that vision and join you in it. Then you have to actually do the work. You got to break ground. And then once you've broken ground, you got to build a foundation that everything will be supported on. And then you build a, a framework around that that takes care of everything else. Then once you do that, you install the mechanicals that wind up bringing power and comfort that make this thing something that you want to spend the rest of your life in. And then you wind up with vision accomplished. I, I did all the steps, I got to here, and now I have accomplished my vision. Now, we've made the case over the last five Sundays before now that this is very, very similar to the process of God's accomplishment of his vision for eternity. That God had a vision, that he wants to build a home for his family to spend forever in, forever. It's his goal, it's his dream, but he's paid for it through the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's left the church here to, to share the plans and to do the work, and we build a foundation on the Bible that he left us and the framework of prayer and the Holy Spirit comes and provides power and comfort to get the job done. But ultimately, it all leads to one thing, and that is the accomplishment of the goal. Because there's a lot of steps there. We've talked about them over the last several weeks. But the finished product is the goal. That's, that's why you do everything that we've talked about is to accomplish the goal, to accomplish the vision, all the hard work, all the effort, all the anticipation, it is all so that we can get to the realization of that vision. For us, in the here and now, that would be a dream home to share with your family and friends for the rest of your life. For God, that is accomplishing his vision to create a place for his family through the blood of Jesus Christ and salvation for eternity. That's God's vision. That's the difference between his and ours. And so far, we've talked about all the steps that it takes to get here. But today, we're going to talk about the end goal itself. We're going to talk about the accomplishment of that vision. Now, let me say this before we dive in. And I'll, I'll encourage you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. I got a lot of scripture that I'm going to share with you this morning. Most of it will be on the screen. In fact, all of it will be on the screen. But uh, 
there's a couple of passages in Revelation that are close to each other, so that'll give you a chance to kind of follow along in your own Bible. But let me start by saying this. Historians have shown us that in virtually every civilization, there's always been a sense that there's something more than this life. That, that when we die, that this isn't all there is, that we're going to go somewhere else. There is this innate sense in every one of us that this life is not all that there is. And so when you look at, at history, no matter when in history or where in history, every time you have, there's been a group of people discovered, no matter when or where, there's always some element where they are, are describing or painting a picture of a world to come. Everybody has it. And uh, fortunately this morning, we have a brief video of two theologians uh, who were discussing what comes after this life. One of the theologians is named Gandalf. The other theologian is named Pippin. Don't you love that? Don't you love the way that he described it? The, the gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass and then you see it. And he goes, see what? And then as he describes it, then Pippin says, that's, that's not so bad, is it? And Gandalf says, no, it's not so bad at all. The word that, that we use when we talk about what comes next is heaven. So let me ask you this morning, as you sit here, or if you're watching on Facebook Live, what happens when you hear the word heaven? Do you, do you get excited? Do, do, you, do you think of God? Do you think of, of people that you have known and loved that have, have gone on ahead of you? Do you think, well, you know, no big deal? Do you think of angels and wings? Do you think of, of music and, and singing? I mean, when you hear the word heaven, heaven by itself, just the word heaven suggests something pretty awesome, pretty wonderful, but what is it really? What is heaven? What is this wonderful thing that we imagine as heaven? 
Now, I want you to ask yourself, based on what you think of when you think of heaven, ask yourself this question. Do I really want to go there right now? Do I really want to leave this earth behind? Do I really want to leave all my family and friends? Do I really want to leave everything I know? Do I really want to go right now? Now, I think if we're being honest, most of us would answer that, well, yeah, I want to go, but I don't want to go right now, right? And I think that's because we don't truly understand what God is offering. And so this morning, I want to paint a picture of eternity for you. Now, as I do that, one of two things is going to happen. As I use scriptures to paint a picture of eternity, either you're going to agree with it and it's going to match the impressions that you have of eternity, or they may challenge your ideas of what heaven and eternity are. So I want to ask everyone this morning, as we get ready to talk about this, that you have an open mind about what you hear and what the scriptures reveal to you. And before we go any further, I want to share this because in our new membership class, we share this thought and here it is. In essential beliefs, we have unity. In non-essential beliefs, we have liberty. And in everything, all things, we have love. All right, so now let me, let me just put a little definition with that. Essential beliefs are that God is God, we're not. Man is sinful as he needs a savior. Jesus Christ is that savior. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. The Bible is God's inspired message to us to reveal himself to us and to tell us everything that we need to know about life. Almost everything else, we gotta carve out space to see things differently because we're not gonna always agree on every jot and tittle of everything that is in God's word. So we need to have unity in the essentials, but in everything else, we have to have some space to see things slightly differently. And I would tell you this morning that I think that this teaching probably falls into that category. So if you understand that you may not agree with what you're going to hear this morning, I pray that you will, but you take it in the, in the spirit of in non-essential beliefs, we have liberty, all right? And in all things that we've got love. So now, with all that understood, I think we would all agree that almost everybody here would say that there's only two things certain in life. What are those two, th two things that are certain in life? Right, that's it. Everybody knows it, death and taxes. There's only two things certain in life are death and taxes. And guess what? They're two of the least things that we wanna talk about. Nobody wants to talk about taxes and nobody wants to talk about death. But here's the truth. People deal with the reality of death every day all around the world. Now, this, this number may not shock you. It may blow your mind. I don't know. But every day, there are over 150,000 people who reach the end of their life. Every day of the year. Over 150,000 people go out into eternity. They, re they reach the end of one life and they begin another one. And so it's one of those things that we don't like to discuss, but it's a reality that we have to. Now, along with that, I think it's important that we address kind of the reality of how most of us perceive heaven. And I'll just speak for me, but most people I've spoken to over the course of time sort of have the same, same sort of mindset. All right, here it is. 
as a child and all the way into adulthood, uh, I really didn't know exactly what to think about heaven. My impression of heaven was this, this ginormous city somewhere in outer space. It's made out of gold and gemstones. And so if it's made out of gold and gemstones, probably all the houses that are there are made out of the same stuff. Now, I really had no idea what we would look like. And I really had no idea exactly what we would be doing. Uh, would we, like, would we be ghosts, you know, floating around and, and flying around? Would we be sitting on a cloud and playing a harp all day? Is that what we're going to do? Would we be singing nonstop forever? Now, let me tell you something. I love to sing. I really do. But even I thought I might get tired of nonstop singing after two or 3,000 years. I really thought that I might hit a wall. <laughs> and so... I think so many people have some really un, unfounded ideas about heaven and eternity, and most of them make us not all that excited about what God has for us, his great vision for us when we think about eternity. Now, when I was in high school, there was required reading of a book that if you're under 30, you may have never heard of this book, and if you've heard of it, you probably never read it. But if you're probably 40 or older, you probably had to read it. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. How many of you had to read that book? Okay, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. And in that book, he paints a really similar picture of heaven that I just described to you. There's a character in, in uh, Huck Finn. Her name is Miss Watson, and, and she is an older, unmarried, mostly negative Christian woman. And she's not too crazy about uh, Huck's fun-loving spirit. Huck loved to have fun, and she wasn't too crazy about that. And so according to Huck, one day, here's what she, she said. She went on and told me all about the good place. And by that, he means heaven. She said all a body would have to do there was go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. And I didn't think much of it. Because I asked her if, I, if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. And I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. So in other words, all that she had to say about heaven and eternity, he wanted none of it. Huck wanted nothing to do with this incredible place that we talk about when we talk about heaven. Now, in another book called The Journey of Desire, and by the way, let me share this with you. I just encourage you, I like to share resources with you. Over the course of my adulthood, I've had a couple of books that have really impacted my theology about heaven and eternity. One is an incredibly awesome book called Heaven uh, by Randy Alcorn, full of scripture. More scripture than I could ever share with you even in a, several weeks of Sundays. Uh, and before that was another book called The Journey of Desire, by John Eldridge. These two, along with a few other books, have really impacted my theology about heaven and eternity. And John Eldridge, in that book, The Journey of Desire, he writes this, nearly every Christian I have spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. Woohoo, right? We, we, we have settled on an image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky. One great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen. And our heart sinks. Forever and ever? That's it? That's the good news? And then we sigh 
and we feel guilty that we're not more spiritual, we lose heart and we turn once more to the present to find what life we can. Now, before you get too holy and spiritual on me, let me just say I've I've been in churches all over the country as a military guy, as a business guy. We've moved a lot. This is normal. Say, oh, no, I don't feel that way. Oh, yes, you do. You just won't tell anybody. You just don't want to admit it. This is how most Christians across the country perceive eternity in heaven, the great sing-along in the sky that never ends. And yes, it's better than the alternative, right? I mean, it's way better than the alternative. But it really doesn't have a whole lot of juice in it for right here and right now. And that's why a lot of Christians, and especially men, especially men, because men don't don't enjoy singing as much as women. That's a generalized statement, but it's typically true. Most guys I know would rather be doing something. And so when a guy perceives especially, hey, it's it's never-ending singing on a harp with a cloud... Well, I'd rather do that than go to the bad place. I'd rather do that than spend eternity in a place called hell. But, so I'll take that. But I'm going to get what joy and satisfaction out of this life that I can because that is not all that appealing to me. Somebody just say, he speaks the truth. This is the reality. And while we all like the idea of being with God in a place where there isn't any pain... The idea that we think that is actually waiting for us, it really isn't all that appealing to most of us. And that's a problem because the Apostle Paul tells us something very, very important in his letter to the Colossians, Colossians 3.1. He says, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your heart on things above. Now, can I just be frank with you? For most of us trying to get excited about sort of a ghost type existence in a non-physical heaven while we sit on a cloud and play a harp with wings and sing forever and ever and always, that's about as, we have about as much chance of getting excited about that as getting excited about eating a plate of rocks. We're just not made to eat a plate of rocks. And no matter how much you try to say, boy, you ought to get excited, that plate of rocks looks really, really good. You just can't get excited about eating rocks. But when Jesus talked about eternity, he got excited. And in fact, it sounds like it's something that we ought to get excited about too when he says it. John chapter 14, verses two and three, almost everybody has heard these verses. Jesus says, in my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'll come again. I'll receive you to myself that where I am, there you, there you may be also. There's many mansions. It's going to be awesome. And so when he talks about the future, he uses terms that don't sound all that uncommon or unusual. He talks, he uses words like house. He uses words like room. Other places in scripture talk about a city that's not made with hands. Other places in scripture talk about a better country. And so Jesus suggests that something and somewhere is it, this eternity that he's talking about ought to be something that we're looking forward to. It should 
whet our appetites. It should get us excited. It should have our, our hearts and our minds firing on all cylinders going, man, I can't believe what God is preparing for us. But the truth is it doesn't. It doesn't have us all amped up. It doesn't have us all excited. We are not living in genuine anticipation for the eternity that God has prepared for us. Why? Why aren't we all amped up and excited about God's vision for his family for eternity? I think there's some reasons behind that, and I think here's part of it. Because we cannot anticipate, nor can we desire what we cannot imagine. Now, just think about that for a second. You can't get excited about or anticipate what you can't imagine in your mind. That's the whole point of advertising, is to generate excitement and enthusiasm. How many of you have ever been sitting at home watching TV, advertisement comes on, you weren't thinking about this thing at all. And the next thing you know, it's like, man, you want to get up out of your chair, get in the car and drive to the store and buy something. Or next thing you know, you've got your computer out, you're going to Amazon. Man, I got to get me one of those. Tell me you haven't done that. Yes, you have. That's the point of advertising. It creates desire. So I want you to, with that in mind, I want you to think about how we hurt our own spiritual development when we say that we can't imagine what heaven is going to be. Think about the disservice that we do to those who still need the salvation that Jesus Christ offers when we can't paint them a compelling, exciting picture of God's vision of eternity. How many people do you think over the course of history have heard somebody describe what God has got uh, for eternity and go, eh, I'll pass? How many people do you think have gone out into a Christless eternity because what they heard about what God is planning didn't sound all that appealing to them? Probably more than we can count. I think for many years, people have been saying, uh, hey, heaven is going to be better than than we can imagine. I have even said it probably uh, more times than I'm even aware of, but here's, here's what I want you to know. I think I was wrong. I think when I've said that I can't imagine what heaven is going to be like, I think I was wrong. And I think anybody who still says that is wrong because I think that a lot of this boils down to one passage of Scripture that so many people have misunderstood, misapplied, or misused. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Some of you will be familiar with this verse. But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. How many of you have heard that verse before? Many of you. All right. No eye has seen, nor ear heard. You can't even imagine what God has prepared. Do you know I've, I've repeated that verse when I'm talking about heaven? Man, it's so good, I can't even imagine it. And we stop at verse 9 because I think verse 9 has a lot of us convinced that we can't. But you know that there's another verse that comes after verse 9? Did you know that? Verse 10. Here's what verse 10 says. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. 
Well, uh, we can't even imagine because of verse 9. But then verse 10, Paul says, well, yes, you can. Because God's revealed them to us through the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of the Word of God. There's so much Scripture in here. We're only going to touch on it this morning. There's so much Scripture that points to what God is doing. And the minute that we say that we can't imagine heaven, it is like pouring cold water on the enthusiasm that God wants us to have for the vision that he's prepared for us for eternity. Because if we can't imagine it, we can't really look forward to it. So what will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? Well, let me say this as I begin to answer that question. Jesus did not die just to make the best of a bad situation. He died so that mankind, earth, and all of the universe could be renewed to forever proclaim his glory. God has never given up on his original creation. Now, I know a lot of people think he has, but when we think that, then we have overlooked an entire vocabulary in the Bible that points to the fact that God hasn't given up. I want you to look at these words. Reconcile, redeem, restore, recover, renew, resurrect. Those numbers in parentheses, that's how many times each of those words is used in the course of the Old Testament and New Testament combined. Look how many times these words are used throughout the context of the entire Bible. You think that God is trying to communicate some important information to us when he uses over and over again words like reconcile, redeem, restore, recover, and renew? You think God might be trying to tell us something? Look in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. A new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now let me address one important issue about this because there are many people who believe, and it's, it's even referenced in this verse right here, that God completely destroys the earth. This, pas this passage says that the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There are other verses that say God destroys the earth. The earth was just melted away. It was destroyed. I understand where people come from when they say, well, the whole, God's just going to wipe the whole slate clean. He's going to just do it all away with. But before you come to that conclusion, I want you to think about this. How many of you are familiar with the story of Genesis chapter 6 of, of Noah and the flood? You know that story, Right? In that story, God said that he was going to destroy the earth. You read that part? I'm going to destroy the earth. And guess what? He did. But the earth was still here. Because destroy doesn't always have to mean to be completely done away with. So God destroyed the earth during the flood and Noah, but the earth was still here. So destroy by itself does not necessarily mean that it ceases to exist. And considering all of the redeem and restore and renew words throughout the course of Scripture, it makes sense that God is not going to completely do away 
with the earth, but that instead he's going to restore the earth. Now, the easiest way for me to understand this, and maybe this will help you, is this way. God is not going to lose. God is not going to lose. So the devil is not strong enough to stop God's original plan. What was God's original plan? He made a sinless earth that was perfect, and he filled it with sinless people. That was God's original plan. He came down and he fellowshiped with them. And I'm telling you this morning that the devil is not strong enough to destroy God's plan. 1 John 3, 8, I want you to look at this verse because I think this is so cool. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God, that's Jesus, was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. What were the works of the devil? to mess up everything that God was doing. That was the works of the devil, was to mess up everything that God was doing. And so Jesus came to pay the price to redeem, reconcile, restore, and renew, and to put back in order everything that the devil tried to mess up. So let's continue looking at Revelation 21. Now look at verses two and three. And I saw John, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, and this is so important, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he, God, will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So here's what it's saying. The new Jerusalem, which was in heaven, will come down out of heaven from God. And where does it go? Where does the Bible tell us it go? It goes to the new earth, a redeemed, restored, reclaimed earth. And from that time on, as we read this scripture, from that time on, the dwelling place of God will be with redeemed mankind on earth. In other words, heaven comes to earth. Now, I want you to start thinking, when you think heaven, I want you to start thinking eternity. Because we think heaven, we think something out there in in the space right now, somewhere where we go when we pass away and, and God isn't finished yet. But I want you to start thinking heaven, I want you to start thinking eternity and link the two together. And there's some people go, well, heaven and earth, that should not be the same thing. I want to retrain your thinking because the best, the best definition of heaven that I've ever heard is heaven is wherever God is. Would you agree with that? Heaven is wherever God is because wherever God is, that's where I want to be. Amen? All right, so heaven is wherever God is. It's like Air Force One, right? So Air Force One is this big, giant jumbo 747. It's an incredible plane. When the president gets on it, it is Air Force One. But if he gets off that plane comes down here to Mount Vernon, gets on a little single-engine, you know, jumper uh, uh, plane, guess what that single-engine plane becomes? Air Force One. Why? Because it's not about the plane, it's about who's on it. Heaven is not about the place, it's about who's in it, and that's God. So, heaven 
comes to earth. And if heaven is wherever God is, then it's entirely reasonable to call the new earth heaven. And we're told, and turn over now, one chapter, Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, we're told that the throne of God and the Lamb of God actually is in the new Jerusalem, which is brought down to the new earth. So let's look at Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The idea that God would come down to a new earth forever to live with us matches up to his original plan. Think back to his original plan. He could have taken Adam and Eve up to heaven to be with him, right? He could have done that. They were perfect. You remember, he made them perfect. They were sinless. He could have taken them up to be with him in heaven. But what did God do? Did he take them there or did he come here? He came here. So the idea of heaven coming to earth, God coming to make his dwelling place with man on earth is entirely consistent with what he started with in Genesis chapter 1. John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus said this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And check this out. We will come to him and make our home with him. How cool is that? So what will it be like? What will this new earth be like? So when you think, when I ask you to, to kind of imagine pictures of the world, what do you imagine? What pictures come to your mind? Do you think mountains, streams, rivers, beaches? Lakes, fields, houses, trees. I mean, are those the images that come to mind when you think of pictures of what this world is? And what it has to offer are those the images that, that come to your mind? Because I think almost everybody would say yes. When, if you ask me to think about pictures of the world, that's what I see when I close my eyes. And so if we cannot imagine our present world without rivers, without mountains, without trees, and without flowers, then why would we try to imagine the new earth? without them? Why would we try to imagine the eternity that God is preparing for us on a new earth without all of these incredibly beautiful things? God promises a new earth, a restored earth, and if that means anything, it means that we can expect to find earthly things here. Did he not create all of those things when he created the earth? Did he not? Of course he did. So when I think about this and I look at those pictures, I think about the first time that I saw the Grand Canyon. Many of you have been there. I think about the first time that I 
saw Iceland or when, when we went to Alaska, God has given us the incredible opportunity to go there. And everywhere you turned, it was, it was just breathtaking. These, these are pictures that, that I took while we were on these trips. And I can tell you that there were literally times on these trips that we just had to stop and weep. You ever had that moment where you look around and God is just so big in the world around you that it just brings you almost to your knees and you just weep and go, man, how good is God? And everywhere we looked, it was like you could just see the fingerprints of God. It was everywhere and it made me appreciate who God is and seeing his majesty. And I believe that when we see this new redeemed restored earth, it will be like the Grand Canyon in Iceland and Alaska and a thousand other places multiplied by a zillion. It will take our breath away in such a way that we, we are just absolutely speechless. Do you understand that everything that you've ever seen that makes you feel that way is under the curse of sin? Everything you've ever seen that just blows your mind, the grandeur of God as you look at the world around you, it is cursed by sin. Imagine it without sin. I can't help but get excited about that. So how do you imagine this new earth? How do you imagine the attorney, this vision, this place that God is making for his family? Man, take a walk. Go on a scenic drive. Use the skills that God has given you to paint a picture or take a picture. And imagine it all free of the curse of sin. Imagine it all in its original condition. Spotless without stain, without being marred. The grass green and vibrant. Flowers that are perfect in every detail and so fragrant it takes your breath away. Imagine that the people that are around you are always happy, always full of joy, no one is ever sad. No one is ever discouraged. No one is ever angry or depressed. Think of friends and, and family members that have already gone on to be with the Lord and, and that are with him now. Picture them with you in this beautifully, incredibly restored, beautiful place, this beautiful world. And all of you have perfect, strong bodies that are stronger than any athlete. And there is nothing that is holding you back from enjoying every moment, every single solitary second that you're uh, able to be with each other. And there's no time frame. There's no time limit that says, hey, we got to hurry up and bring this to an end because I got somewhere else I got to be. You've got an eternity to do this. And as you're walking through and just enjoying this incredible, powerful fellowship, you pass a tree and you reach up and you grab an apple or a peach and you take a, a bite right off the tree and it's so good that you just gasp. You've never tasted anything that good in your whole life. And then you start to smell something. What is that? And you realize that somebody's cooking out and it smells so good. And so you wander up and you go, man, that is the most beautiful backyard I've ever seen. And then you realize, wait a minute, you think about how beautiful the one that you have is. 
because God is giving us mansions on the hilltop. And the people see you there and they say, hey, come on, there's plenty to eat and there's room for everyone. And some of the best friends that you will ever know in your life are friends that you will meet in that new earth and that new eternity to share all of those incredible experiences. And then you see somebody walking up and you don't know who it is and you look closer and it's, it's Jesus. And you're overwhelmed. Because you see the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. And you walk to him and you just fall on your knees in worship. And in this eternity that he has prepared for us, he reaches down, he pulls you up, and he gives you a great big old bear hug. He says, man, let's go enjoy this together. I believe that's the eternity that God is building for us. Because at last, you are in the place that you were made to be. You know, we were made out of this earth, right? You know that. And you are with the one you were made to be with, and that's with God. And all of this imagining is really, really important. Because Colossians 3.1 tells us not only to set our hearts on heaven, but our minds too. You know why? Because we're so attached to this world that thinking of heavenly things is really hard for us. It's really hard. I'm going to ask the worship team to come to the platform. Folks, if we want to leave a mark on this world, if we want to make a difference in this world, if we want to make an impact on southern Illinois, then heaven, eternity, has got to matter. Eternity, the vision that God is preparing for us, it can't just be an afterthought. Well, it's better than the alternative. It's got to grip our hearts. It's got to grip our minds to the point that we are not okay with the people that we know and love not being there. It's too good. We cannot leave anybody behind. It's too urgent. 150,000 people go out into an eternity every day, and we cannot be at peace in our heart with the people that we know and love missing out on the eternity that God has made for us. It's got to be that awesome to us. And I think it is. As I've made peace with this theology of, of eternity in heaven over probably at least 15, 10 or 15 years now. And this challenged my thinking. When I first began, it really challenged my thinking. But as I've made peace with this, and I believe that there's a ton of scripture to, to make this all uh, the, the best case scenario of what God is planning for us. And here's, here's what I think it's done for me. The Lord blessed us to go to Alaska and, and Iceland. I love to travel. I'd like to go to a whole lot more places, but how many of you know that most of the world that you want to go see, you'll never go see? How many of you know that? Raise your hand. All those places you dream about, you'll never get there. 
And you know what that does for us? It makes us sad, right? Man, because I only get one chance. I wanted to go. You know what this theology of heaven has done for me? I still want to travel. I still want to see it. But here's, here's what God has given me peace about. Those incredibly beautiful places that God has built and made on the far side of the earth that I never get to see, I will see them. I don't have to take all of my money. I don't have to take all of my time and pursue something that I'll only get to see for a few days and leave it behind. I've got an eternity to explore it. And that's given my, my, my spirit a lot of peace and a lot of rest. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 as we conclude, he said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed to us. Is this life going to be hard? Oh, yes, it's going to be hard. But the hard parts of this are nothing compared to what God is going to do. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, because of God who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and it labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Paul said, this thing that God is doing, it's so good that we ought to be able to eagerly wait for it. No matter what comes in this life, we ought to be able to eagerly wait for it. You might be here this morning and you don't know if that incredible picture of eternity is yours. You will never earn that. The only way to get that is through the cross. It's to ask Jesus to come into your heart and come into your life, forgive your sin, and to bring you into his family to share in that vision that he is making for his family for eternity. Some of you here this morning, you've just thought of eternity as an afterthought. It really doesn't mean a whole lot to you. I mean, it's, it's good, but it doesn't inspire you. It hasn't driven you to make the sacrifices that the Lord calls on us to make. I pray that that will change this morning. So as we sing, I ask you to move. We're not going to extend the invitation for a long period of time, but if you need to know that that, that eternity is yours, Come ask, come, come meet me right here. Ask me to pray with you. We'll pray and ask the Lord to come into your heart. If you need to, to just get revitalized about who God is and what he's doing, come pray. We'll do this quickly and we're gonna end the service. So here we go. We pray and we sing. Father, move in everybody's heart. In Jesus' name, amen.